And if you've been with us for the past several weeks, you'll know that we have been in the midst of a series through the Ten Commandments here at First Presbyterian Church. And today we're going to explore the Fourth Commandment. And before we read the Fourth Commandment, it's important that we read the prologue to the Ten Commandments because the prologue to the Ten Commandments remind us of the context that the law is given to us. And that is that it is given to us in the context of grace. We are given God's law in the context of his mercy to us. So we love him because he first loved us. We always need to remember that as we read the law. So let's take a moment now to read God's word, beginning in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now look down to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. Well, the fourth commandment seems to be the commandment that we all love to hate. Because it's hard work not to do any work, isn't it? It's my hunch that most of us, most people anyway, who feel very strongly about having the Ten Commandments in courthouses around America are probably not thinking very highly of the Fourth Commandment when they're wanting to post that. They're thinking of things like, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Those are some of the things that they're thinking, but they're not thinking that a major societal problem that we have that's a problem in the world and in the church is the neglect and the disregard of the Sabbath day. They're probably not seeing it as that big of a deal. And part of the reason why is because in our culture and even in our churches, we've really turned Sunday into Saturday part two. It's a catch-up day. It's, it's the day where we get ready to go about doing all the stuff that we had to do over the course of the week. In fact, in our culture, it's really kind of trendy to be super busy. That's just the reality of the world we live in. We live in the world of Red Bull. I mean, for goodness sake, what is that? Red Bull, the five-hour energy drink. We need all this stuff just to keep going because we're constantly going all the time. There are many of you here this morning, and you probably just feel downright tired. You haven't gotten enough sleep. You're exhausted. You, You work 50 and 60 hours a week, and then the weekend comes, Saturday comes, and it's full of events, full of things to do, and... Now it's spring, the the grass is growing, the weeds are cropping up, it needs your attention. And Sunday comes and it's just another day. It's It's another day of the week. It's the second part of Saturday. It's not a day of rest. I wonder when the last time it was that you got eight hours of sleep. When was that? But when was the last time you were able to take a full 24 hour period And just use it to rest, to take it easy. There's a sociology professor at Boston College by the name of Juliet Shore. 
And a number of years back, she wrote a, a book called The Overworked American. I wonder if you feel like an overworked American. But she wrote this book a number of years back, and what she was saying is that she, she said that really America is kind of a work and spend culture. We, we work hard to gain the American dream, or, or in this case, in this economy that we live in, is just to keep our own standard of living. And we work ourselves into the ground, so much so that at the time in which she wrote her book, she said that Americans were increasing their workload by an average of nine hours per year. We're just adding on more and more work to us. We're actually addicted to our work. That's the point she's trying to make in her book. But when you explore the Bible you discover that God has a different way in which he's designed us to live. In fact, you'll discover when you read the fourth commandment that God actually thinks it's a top ten issue in your life to dedicate one day in seven as a day of rest and a day of worship. It's a significant issue for us. That's actually a radical idea. It's not the way in which our culture is prone to want to live. But it's not a new idea. And it wasn't even a new idea when the Ten Commandments were given. When you look at the Ten Commandments, you discover that the Sabbath day is actually a creation ordinance. That's why, as opposed to so many of the other commandments, you see that God is calling them not to do this or to avoid doing that. He's calling them to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And what he's calling them to do is to remember something that had been in existence since the creation of the world. The reason why we're called to keep the Sabbath day holy is because of what God says here in verse 11. Because he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And so he blessed that day. He made it holy. He set it apart as distinct from the other six days of the week. God rested on the seventh day not because he was tired from his work, but because he was finished with it. And so the Sabbath is a creation Ordinance. That's what theologians call it. It's something that's woven into the fabric of our lives, the fabric of the way in which the world is supposed to work. In other words, there's a rhythm to our lives. And when you get to the New Testament, you discover that this thing continues on. With all of the skirmishes that Jesus had with the Pharisees, and there were plenty of those about the Sabbath that he had with them, he was in, in, in fights with the Pharisees all the time about their legalistic notions of the Sabbath. But you still discover that Jesus never abrogates it. He never does away with it. In fact, it was his custom to keep the Sabbath day. It continues on. And the reason why it continues on is that it's part of the way in which we were intended to function. Six days on and one day off. The New Testament church latched on to this idea too. You discover when you look at the book of Acts... When you look all over the scriptures, you discover that the Christians in the first generation, before the canon of scripture was even completed, would gather together on a day known as the Lord's Day, on, on Sunday, the day of resurrection, and they would gather together to worship. They would gather together to pray. They would gather to be in fellowship, and it would be a day of rest for them. And so what the Lord's Day calls us to is to look back at God's creative work that it is finished, to look back at the resurrection, that Jesus has accomplished our salvation in the gospel. We know that because of the resurrection, because he has conquered our sin and death right there. And because he has conquered that sin and death by looking back to the resurrection, he's pointing us forward to what he saved us to. 
which is to an eternal Sabbath rest. He's, he's saved us to an eternal Sabbath rest, a, 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 a life where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more toil. He, he's leading us to an eternal rest, my friends, of body and soul. And so that's really what the Lord's Day is all about. And that's what the fourth commandment is all about. It's about enjoying a foretaste of what Jesus has saved us to. And so we need a Sabbath. It's actually fundamental to our human need. Jesus said that the Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. It was made for us as a blessing. And it's a blessing. It's a time of rest. It's a time of worship. It's a time of eating and drinking and healing and celebration. And because of that, I think there are some significant issues and significant implications for our lives as we start to kind of plumb the depths of what this Lord's Day is all about. And I think one thing that's just implicit in the fourth commandment is it has to do with work. And the, and the reality is, is that work is actually a very good thing. That's what he's trying to get across to us here. In many respects, work is a very good thing. Here's the deal. Even if this was a world of perfection, where there was no sin, no brokenness, if if our work did not cause frustration, there, there would still be work. Because prior to sin, prior to the fall, God gave Adam a job. He was called to till the soil. He had a job. Work is a good thing. Work isn't something that's this you know, evil thing that we have because the world is broken down. It's something that's very good. And so people who follow Christ, people who claim to be Christians, to claim to follow him, ought to be people who do the work that God has brought them into. They ought to do that work with excellence, and they ought to do it with integrity. Because that's just what becomes a follower of Christ. Whether you're someone who repairs air conditioning units or you tend to the affairs of the home, you're a homemaker, or you teach third grade, or or you practice neurosurgery. Whatever it is that you do, we do it as if we were fundamentally working for the Lord and not for man, or not for ourselves, or not just to make a bunch of money. See, Paul says that whether we eat or drink or whatever it is that we do, and that includes our work, we're to do it for what? For the glory of God. And so when people who claim to follow Christ do their jobs in a very half-hearted, second-rate, lazy, unprofessional way, it's just downright shameful. It's shameful to the gospel. And it's even more shameful when we do that work without integrity and without honesty. And so our work, my friends, we need to begin to see the work that God has called us to do as one of the places, the the most significant place outside of the home, that God has called you to glorify him. Your work is exceptionally important. You know, it's not like full-time ministers are the only ones doing the spiritual work and the rest of you are doing something else. That's not the case at all. Your job is necessary. It's necessary for human flourishing. It's a good thing. And so let me ask you this. This is something that you just need to consider when 8 a.m. clicks tomorrow morning and you're at the office doing whatever it is that you do. How is Jesus making any difference in the way in which you work? How is he making any difference in the way in which you work? What common responsibility do you have over the course of the week? How is Jesus 
affecting the way that you work in any way that's different from someone else doing the same exact job as you who doesn't claim to know Jesus Christ at all. See, there ought to be a difference. There ought to be an integrity. There ought to be an excellence with which we do our work because all of our work matters to God. And God matters to all of our work. All of our work matters to God. And God matters to all of our work. That's an important thing for you to latch on to. But the bigger implication here of this story, of this commandment, is that God has given us a design, a rhythm, as to how we are to do our work and how we are to rest. There's a rhythm there. There's a tempo. And that tempo is six days on and one day off. Six days on and one day off. It's something that you and I need by our very design. We're designed to need that, but we resist it by nature. It's just amazing how God gives us these blessings and then we push back against them. We, we reject them. We say that we don't want them. It, that's why it's so hard for us to remember the Lord's Day and to set it apart as something holy. And, you know, I would just say this as an aside. There's probably a lot of personal stuff that you have to deal with in your own life in, in order to get a real true, godly, Christ-centered understanding of what the Lord's Day is all about. Uh, There's so much stuff, maybe in your church background or your familial background, that affects this. I mean, I, I never, ever remember hearing any message, any sermon at all, about the Lord's Day in my church background growing up at all. Not even until I got into seminary. That was the first time I ever heard anything about it. I do remember as a high school kid, hearing my pastor regularly say during football season, don't worry, I'll have you out in time for kickoff. But, but that was pretty much the extent of a Lord's Day sermon. And my family life and, and my own personal hardwiring didn't really order my life around the Lord's Day, setting it apart as something that was really distinct. And so I have personally had to really grapple with this, explore what the Word says, and submit myself to it, and as I've learned to do that to some extent, the Lord's Day has become such a greater blessing. It's been such a greater blessing. I've begun to see it for what it truly is. And my challenge for you is to explore whatever that stuff is in your life that's hindering you from enjoying the Lord's Day as it was intended to be enjoyed. I was talking with a, a pastor of another church and someplace else a couple months ago, and he was telling me that he, he normally gets about four hours of sleep every night. He spends heaps of time working and reading and studying and doing all the things that he needs to do and attending to his family. He is a very good husband and father, and, and he's maxed out, so he gets about four hours of sleep. And the reason why he gets that four hours of sleep every night is because he thinks that the Lord deserves the maximum amount of time that he can give to him. And I had to say to my dear friend, I said, you know, I'm just not sure the Lord needs you that much. I'm not sure he needs you that much. I mean, getting four hours of sleep, you can't even function on that over the course of several days and several weeks. That's not how you're designed to function. You actually function worse like that. And so if, if it's ordinary for you to have to work seven days a week doing something, 
and you run yourself into the ground and you think that rest is really a waste of time, then I think that you might be taking yourself too seriously and you're not taking Jesus seriously enough. It's something really to consider. You're making your work the source of your self-definition. It's idolatry. And it's not the way that we're designed to live. See, to rest, especially on the Lord's Day, is something that takes great faith. It takes faith to rest, to set apart the day as holy, because it says, God, you have to provide for me. You have to provide for me with six days of labor, not seven. God, you are going to be fundamental to who I am and not my work. Y'all, this commandment was given to a bunch of freed slaves. These people were in bondage. They were in slavery for 400 years to the Egyptians who never gave them a day off. There was no such thing as a Sabbath day in the pagan world. This was completely foreign to them. And especially to a group of slaves. You think you're going to give slaves a day off? Give me a break. They worked seven days a week all the time doing hard manual labor. And so when God comes to them in this commandment and he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to make it distinct, he's given them something that they had lost for 400 years. He's essentially saying, you are my people. I have set you free. I am going to bless you. And one of the ways that I'm going to bless you is by giving you seven and a half weeks of vacation every year. Seven and a half weeks of rest every year. And you would have thought that the Israelites would have been rejoicing. That they would have been dancing in the streets to be able to just have a break. To renew their body and soul. But what you discover is that they're constantly neglecting the Sabbath day. They're either neglecting it by doing work on the Sabbath day, or they're neglecting it by adding a whole bunch of extra rules to it that God never designed for it to have. That's what the Pharisees were doing all the time. The Pharisees would make up all these absurd rules, and that's why Jesus is always button heads with them. When we neglect, though, my friends, what God has given to us in this day, we're neglecting something that he's designed to bless us with. And we're going right back in to the bondage that he has released us from, which is a bondage to being defined by something other than him, by, by being defined by our work or being defined by the, the rewards of our work. You know, I think at the bottom of, of this issue of our, of our failure to embrace it and to obey it is, is just like any other commandment. What's at the bottom of that? Uh, our, the, the bottom of our rebellion and indifference to God is really an issue of pride in our life. You know, that, that's why we disobey is because we're full of ourselves. We have no more room for him. We're full of pride. And the pride issue in this particular case is allowing ourselves to be defined by what we do rather than by what Jesus has done in accomplishing an eternal Sabbath rest for us. And so enjoying the fourth commandment, 
obeying it, it actually takes humility. It takes the humility to say, I am going to let Jesus define me, and I'm not going to let my work be the thing that defines me. And so, practically, when the rubber meets the road, what does this mean for you? You what What does this mean for you in your ordinary life? I think it means this. It means that whatever work that you have to do over the course of six days out of the week, don't do it on the Lord's Day. Take it off. Give yourself a rest. Give yourself permission to take a nap. That's a good thing. You can actually have permission to do that. For those of you who are moms of of young children, that's a 24-7 job. You don't just get the day off for that. But you need it. You need to just get a little separation from your little ones. And husbands, help out your wives with this. Let them have a little bit of a break on that Lord's Day in particular. To the degree that you're even active on the Lord's Day, to the degree that you're doing some form of recreation, make that recreation restful. Go to the beach. Go, Go take a walk. Call a friend. Read a book or something like that. But make your activity restful. You know, the, the Lord's Day brings about so many questions, like, but what about this particular case? What about that? It brings out all of these particular issues. And one of the but, but what about questions is, but what about essential work? What about really necessary work that's imminent? It has to happen now. Jesus actually addresses this. He addresses it in Luke 14, that famous story he gives about the ox in a ditch. When your ox is in a ditch... You've got to go get it out. He's saying it's a work of necessity on the Lord's Day. So if your ox is in a ditch, if there's some just thing that vies for your attention right now that you absolutely have to address, then he says it's okay to go address that. Some sort of emergency. It has to be addressed. And so there are some things, my friends, that you may need to do on the Lord's Day. But here's the point. Make sure that the work that you're doing is really essential work. Make sure it's something that absolutely has to be done, something that could not in any way have been foreseen to need to, be, to have been done on the day before, and something that absolutely cannot wait until tomorrow in order for your life to go on functioning as normal. Make sure it's something that's necessary. Make sure if the work you're doing, make sure that's a work of mercy towards someone. It's always appropriate to do works of mercy for people on the Lord's Day, but by and large, these are kind of rare things. It ought to be exceptionally rare to have to do necessary work on the Lord's Day. And if it's not exceptionally rare, then you're probably stretching the definition of what necessary is. It's a day of rest. It's a day of of rest, and we need it. It's a day of rest for our body and for our soul. Here's one other way we can enjoy the Lord's Day. One other design that it has in addition to rest. It's supposed to be a day of worship. The the Sabbath day, it says in this passage that it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Part of the reason why it's a day of rest is so that we would be able to worship him. It's to be able to set apart a special day to worship him. Look, you're married on every day of the week. Every day of the week you're married. But date night's something special, isn't it? it? It's a day where you can set apart to actually connect with each other on a deeper level, hopefully, that you we're not able to connect on on the other days of the week. That's why it's a special day to be able to set that apart. That's why it's important for couples to do that, to connect in that way. And so 
with regard to the Lord's Day, it's not that the other days don't belong to God. They all belong to God. But the Lord's Day is a specific day where we can set it apart to rest and to gather with his people and to worship him in ways that we can't do on the other six days of the week. And it was Jesus' custom to do this. Jesus, on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day, would go to the synagogue. He would worship. He would hear the word preached. He would pray. He would sing. He would gather with his people. And all the early Christians did this on the Lord's Day as well. And so the application, my friends, for you and me on this is not to neglect this day. Make it a special day. Make it something that's set apart where you can truly connect and engage with God. What about this? Why don't you come to worship on Sundays with the crazy idea that God might actually show up? What if that happened? That God might actually show up, that he might have something to say to you, that you might have something that you need to hear from him. Come with that sense of expectation. And I want to challenge you to make it a 52-Sunday-a-year commitment. Unless you're sick or somehow providentially hindered, make it something that is a regular part, a weekly part, a 52-Sunday-a-year part of your diet. You know, if you're the person who doesn't seem to get a whole lot out of church and you're feeling kind of disconnected and it's not really latching on to you, but you only come once or twice a month, then it's no wonder that you're not getting very much out of it. Because you need to hear that word. You need to have it rising up in your soul and you need to be connected in worship with the body of believers. What about making the Lord's Day a day where you spend time talking about the things of the Lord with your family? What about getting together with your family after church and talking about the sermon and reading the Bible together, reading the Bible to your kids, doing the catechism questions with them? Just doing those kinds of things to connect spiritually with your family. You know, I, I think with the Lord's Day, it's, it's very easy to get caught up in questions of what you should and shouldn't do on the Lord's Day. And, and when you get too caught up with questions like that, you end up sucking the joy right out of it. It becomes, a, it becomes a joyless day. And asking questions like that aren't even particularly helpful. It's, you know, asking what can I and can't I do on the Lord's Day It's kind of like the teenager coming to you who's dating somebody and says, how far is too far? I mean, that's just the wrong question. That's asking, what can I get away with? A better question is asking, what's going to help me and my family and my church enjoy Jesus better today? What's really most pleasing to him? How can I make this a day of rest and of worship and of celebration? Because that's really what it's all about. That's what this Lord's Day is. That's why it's a blessing to us. And that's the third thing that I want to just mention, the last thing, is that the Lord's Day is really a day of celebration. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. And it is a day of celebration. It's a day not of fasting. It's a day of feasting. Look, we're saved for the eternal Sabbath rest. And you know what you do in the eternal Sabbath rest? You celebrate with God's people at the marriage supper of the Lamb and you eat till your heart's content. You're doing it because you have great joy because of what Jesus has done for you in the gospel to save you from what you deserved and to give you what you didn't deserve, which is an eternal rest and an eternal feast where you are eternally satisfied. 
Even in the Old Testament, they had a foretaste of this. You see in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, all the people are gathering on a holy day. It's like a Sabbath. It's a, it's a day of worship. They're hearing the word proclaimed to them. And in verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah tells the people, he tells the Israelites, to go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, we're able to celebrate on the Lord's Day because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because there's reason to have great joy. So make it a day of celebration with one another. Make it that day. I long to see First Presbyterian Church increasingly become a church where we're not just arriving two minutes before the worship service happens. We come and we sing the songs, we hear the sermon, we do the thing, the benediction's given, and then immediately we shoot out the door and we're done. I mean, what in the world is that? That's not what worship's supposed to be. That's not what the Lord's Day is supposed to be. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of connecting with people. I'm actually thankful that so many of you actually make it a point to stick around to connect with one another, to enjoy each other, to enjoy a meal with each other afterwards. That's why we have the potluck lunches once a month. That's not just something we do as a sake of tradition. We do it because the Lord's Day is about eating and drinking and enjoying one another. So prioritize that celebration on the Lord's Day. After church, make it a day where you go and enjoy lunch with somebody. Go out somewhere. Go, go to your house and enjoy lunch. You're going to be employing someone if you go out to eat. There's a question on the Lord's Day. You're going to be employing someone, but you're going to be employing yourself if you have to prepare the food and cook it and clean it up as well. You're you're employing anybody by just having the lights on and this microphone working this morning, and it's really not necessary. So go and enjoy time with one another and celebrate that day together. Don't isolate yourself on the Lord's Day. Make it a celebration. Here's the last thing I just want to mention. I think it's a sad world indeed that we live in if Chick-fil-A has a better idea of the Lord's Day than we do in the church. They seem to get it. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship. It's a day of celebration. They understand that we're designed to have a six-day-on, one-day-off tempo to our life. And my prayer for all of you and my prayer for myself is that we would start to get that because it's a blessing to us. It's supposed to be a blessing and not a burden. And it is when you begin to see it that way and live in such a way as well. Let's seek to experience today like that now as we go to him in prayer. Jesus, we give you great thanks for this day. It's It is a privilege to even be here. There are so many people who would long to be able to be here with your people, to have the freedom to worship, who are, for one reason or another, unable to do so. There are people who are being driven into the ground on this day, and yet you set it apart for us to be a day of rest and gladness, a day of joy. And so we pray that we would enjoy it as such that it would be a day of rejuvenation for our bodies and souls, so that ultimately you would be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.